passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are here to recap the wild card series and look ahead to the division series today. To do that, I am joined by my friend and colleague, Jeff Ponce. Jeff, believe it or not, one round down, three to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the proponents of the recent changes in the playoff format, more playoff baseball, more teams, more excitement. And uh, it was a great opening round despite total sweeps across the board but i think there were some exciting games some exciting performances and i'm real excited for the division around we got some great matchups coming up yeah absolutely we're going to preview all of them we're going to make our picks and uh see who ends up being more right and wrong i think last year i won our battle and head-to-head picks uh the first round of the wild card series jj and i each finished two and two we picked differently but we each finished two and two as we look back on the wild card series before we dive into looking ahead to the division series Jeff, what was kind of your biggest overall takeaway from the wild card series? As you mentioned, four sweeps, um, a couple of favorites won, a couple of upsets. What was your biggest takeaway overall? Yeah, I think it's just, um, number one, uh, the Rangers came out, really performed well. They showed up big in those couple of games. They really just wiped out the Rays, which, you know, I think we got to put that into perspective. This was a 99-win team. This was a team that going into the final weekend of the season had an opportunity to get that first round by and clinch the AL East. Obviously, Baltimore came through, you know, uh, uh, gets their magic number, et cetera. But, you know, this was a team that going into that last week, I misspoke, going into that last week had an opportunity to win the division, um, was one of the best teams in the American League all season. I think you could argue they're probably the second best team in the American League all season. And they kind of wiped them off the map a little bit. These weren't very close games. Um and then I think you look at some of the other series, Toronto, uh, both of those games, couple of decisions, couple of balls fall a different way. Um, things really look very differently. But the Twins came out, the Twins performed. The Twins have carried through a lot of that momentum that they had in the second half of the season, where they really were hitting on all cylinders as an offense with the return of Royce Lewis and, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, that was a really interesting series. And then, you know, you jump over to the Philly series versus the Marlins. The Phillies just seem to have this momentum going, especially when they're playing at home in the playoffs. It's just a different team. 
you know, there, there, there was a different feel on that series. So I think as we look as like on an individual basis across all these different series, um, you know, there's a different, there's a different feel with, with each and every one of them. And then of course we have uh, the other NL series and I'm interested to maybe get your thoughts on that one. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing I take away from this is, and we know this, but it just keeps getting reinforced in order to be successful in the postseason, you have to have a deep, relentless, dynamic lineup one to nine. You can't have a lineup that's one-dimensional. You can't have a team where, you know, one through five, you're good, but the bottom four, it's questionable. And that is the main reason why I was really skeptical when I saw a lot of other pundits out there picking the Rays or Brugge of the World Series. Uh, to me, there was no shot because they didn't have the offenses for it. I picked the Rangers to beat the Rays in the wild card round. And I, I genuinely, I did think the Brewers would beat the Diamondbacks. I thought maybe they would have a chance against the Dodgers, depending on how the Dodgers pitching lined up. But to me, their absolute ceiling was the NLCS. And both of these lineups were just not very good. And the Rays, I want to start with them. It's not entirely their fault because a big part of that was Brandon Lau getting hurt and Wander Franco being suspended. But look at this lineup they put out for game two. I mean, Manny Margot is their six hitter. Then Curtis Mead, Taylor Walls, Renee Pinto. You're not going to win many games when that's the six or nine hitters in your lineup. And you compare that to what the Rangers are rolling out there. If you just go position by position around the diamond, the only place you can say the Rays probably had a clear advantage positionally would be Randy Rosarena in left field over Evan Carter, who, oh, by the way, had a great series. But when you look over the course of their careers, just the ability, what they've accomplished, if you only really have the better player at one out of nine spots, if you want to argue Yandy Diaz versus Nate Lowe at first base, okay, maybe Harold Ramirez versus Robbie Grossman at DH. But the overall point is, if you're really, really, really optimistic and you give the Rays as much as you possibly can, they had the lesser player on the field at six out of nine positions. And that's just not a formula for success. This is a really good Rangers team. You know, I talked about it on the wildcard preview podcast, a Bruce Bochy managed team. You're going to bet that they're going to bounce back. But again, you have to have an offense that one to nine, everyone can hurt you and hurt you in different ways. You have to have a team that hits for power. You have to have a team that can string together five straight hits. You have to have a team that can steal bases and go first to 30. You have to be able to do it all. It's, it's not enough to be good at one thing. When you get to this point in the season, you're facing the best of the best. You have to have multiple ways to beat your opponents, and you have to have multiple players capable of doing it. The Rays just did not have that, and the Rangers did. The depth of the lineup made a huge, huge, huge difference there. I mean, the Rays scored one run in two games, and again, give the Rangers pitching staff credit. Jordan Montgomery pitched great. Nate Uvalde pitched great. The bullpen, so maligned all year, pitched great. But a big part of that, too, is the Rays lineup is just not very good. And again, some of it's not their fault, but we all talk about their pitching depth. They they need to have better position players to actually win a postseason series in a non-COVID year, which they haven't gotten past the division series since uh, 2008, aside from the COVID season, which played right into their hands perfectly with the way they were constructed and the way the playoffs were scheduled that year. So they just need to get better players. If It's not randomness. They keep losing. They, they need better players. And then with the Brewers as well, again, a lot of focus was on the pitching staff and, and deservedly so, but Again, this was not a very good lineup. This was a team that finished the bottom half of the majors in most offensive categories. 
And again, you know, we saw that they got to early leads, but they weren't able to pile on. And once they fell behind, they weren't able to respond. Again, you look at these lineups that the Brewers are throwing out there. There's some good young players in there. Christian Yelich had a bounce back year. And, but Carlos Santana and Mark Canna, while they're perfectly good players and they were really good deadline acquisitions, you probably don't want that being your number three and four hitters. Like those are not going to be the number three and four hitters on a World Series caliber team. And that's where, again, if you're the Brewers, you've got to find more impact bats so that one to nine in your lineup, you have guys that can hurt you day in and day out. And they just don't have that. So, um, you know, in that regard, these two teams that were popular picks to potentially make the World Series, to me, there was no shot. And I think it just keeps getting reinforced over and over. The teams with the deep dynamic offenses, those are the ones who can win in the postseason. That's a prerequisite to even go far in the postseason. You need a lot of things to happen, but that's a prerequisite. And if you don't have it, you're just not really a contender. I think that's absolutely true. Um, you know, and in, in you need guys that can come up big in big moments. And certainly, you know, the one thing with the Rays, of course, is the Wander Franco situation certainly impacted them in that offense. And, you know, who's up there in that lineup right now? Um, very different look when he's not on that team, for sure. I think on the other side, Something that got a lot of play and deserved to be talked about was, you know, you mentioned the Blue Jays twin series. First and foremost, give the twins credit. I mean, they played fantastic baseball in every facet. They got clutch hits. They made great defensive plays. I mean, Michael Taylor's catch in game one. I mean, that keeps it a 3-1 game as opposed to turning it into a tie ball game. I will say the Twins just played really, really well, and it's great to see them end this streak of 18 straight postseason losses First playoff win since 2004, first playoff series win since 2002, and that atmosphere was fantastic. So I think first and foremost, just give them credit. And they went out and beat Kevin Gosman in game one. I mean, Gosman was not sharp. Royce Lewis took advantage. You could say the Twins took advantage. Really, Royce Lewis did it all himself. That was fantastic. But I think we do have to talk about the Blue Jays' decision to pull Jose Barrios in game two. And I think what bothered me the most was, look, they made a bad decision. And that's not in hindsight. The moment it happened, it was a bad decision. You have one of the better pitchers in the postseason pitching his best. You don't pull him there. Like, there's no rational strategy to do it. You can pull out whatever data and numbers you want from the past. But to me, the fact they made that decision showed a fundamental lack of judgment and ability to parse out what the relevant information actually is. What is happening on the field in front of you takes precedence over however many simulations you've run, whatever data you've looked at in the past, you have to be able to adapt to what's happening in real time. That's what's most relevant. That's the most relevant data point, not what has happened over 50 years for hundreds of different players and hundreds of different situations. And at its core, you're putting a lesser pitcher. And you say Kikuchi's a, a good pitcher. No one would argue he's better than Jose Barrios. You have a better pitcher throwing well on the mound Taking him and pulling him in favor of a lesser pitcher is the wrong move, period. End of discussion. What bothered me more than the decision was the attempts to justify it afterward. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone. Players, coaches, front offices, and just life in general. But you have to be able to own up to it. You have to be able to recognize it, own up to it, and show accountability for it. The players who make mistakes show accountability for it all the time. They make an error. They make a gaffe on the base pass. They say, hey, I messed up. Shouldn't have happened. And what bothers me is when front offices and managers don't match the accountability their players show. And I thought John Schneider attempting to justify it the way he tried to justify it in the post-game press conference 
was problematic to me, just as Kevin Cash trying to justify pulling Blake Snow in the 2020 World Series, which is one of the most inexcusable managerial decisions of our lifetime. And the fact they showed no willingness to acknowledge, yeah, I messed up, the lack of recognition and accountability, that is concerning to me. And frankly, is why I think the Blue Jays need to fundamentally look at some things. A, whatever processes they took to decide that was the right decision, clearly something is broken in that process. But then the inability to recognize that is concerning to me because it means it won't change or get better. Well, and I think, um, you know, it's one of these things in, in life, and this applies to a lot of things where, you know, there's good intentions and well-intentioned people that sometimes are let awry by not necessarily looking and having feel for the situation. And I think that's, it's one of these times where it was clear going into the fourth inning that they wanted to pull Barrios. And I, I think if you were watching that game, pitch count was pretty low. He had allowed three or four base runners up to that point. They had five Ks. He was feeling it. It was, this is why you went out and you got a guy like Jose Barrios. And I think what we sometimes do in, in, in this day and age, especially in these short series is we over, we overmanage, frankly. And I know there's been some arguments that it's not over management, but I think it is. It's clearly over management. Oh, the it's reason gross it's gross over management. Over <laughs> yeah. Getting to the fifth inning, getting five innings out of your starter is a giant uh, advantage in terms of strategy going into the later innings. And the other thing is, I think bringing in Kikuchi when you brought him in didn't actually serve any purpose because the way the twins are constructed, they platoon as soon as, as soon as you brought in a lefty, they're going to bring in their lefty bats in a big situation in that game, which they did, which they took advantage of it. And it turned out to be the difference in the game. So even the advantage that you thought you were getting in the short term in a pivotal point, in a pivotal inning in the game, it actually was negated because the other team just countered it in terms of what their moves were. So even just from a strategy standpoint, it was stupid. It also takes away your advantage of having a guy like Kikuchi, who was really good for them, was the second half of the season, he was like a top 10 pitcher in the major leagues. He was performing great down the stretch for them. The advantage of being able to bring that guy in in the sixth inning, or you go to a traditional bullpen, maybe you're up by a run or it's a one, it's a one, one game, something like that. Things are different, right? You now have the advantage to bring in a guy like Kikuchi and pitch him for five innings. If this goes into those later innings and those pivotal innings, having a guy like that, like we saw with the Red Sox in 2018, when they used Eovaldi like that, we've seen it other times as well, is a big advantage in terms of how you roll out your pitching staff. And you've got to be ready in these close games to be able to react to things in the moment that aren't going to be in the numbers. I think managing with the numbers for 162 is a very smart strategy because over, over the long term, it plays out. When you're managing in the moment and it's a matter of life and death, you got to make decisions that are right for that moment. Snell falls into that. And certainly I think this was another example of that. It's just, and you know, I'm an, I'm an analytically based guy. I love to use the numbers. I like to have it drive a lot of my analysis when you take a step away, you're watching that game. Anybody that's played the game, anyone that's coached the game at any level, I think you, you have a feel for the moment. And that was a time when you still roll with your guy and see what happens. And in the end, they gave up the runs anyway. So it was, and it was negated because of the moves on the other side. It just strategically didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And again, Kikuchi also had not come out of the bullpen all year. Putting someone in a situation they, they've never done the entire year in your biggest game of the season is not putting your players in the best position to succeed. And I think, again, you know, what's happening in real time at the moment, that is an input. Every bit as valuable as the input 
of the from the data you're getting and i would argue more valuable and I, we see teams fail to account for that over and over and they pay the price over and over and yet they don't seem to learn and it's really their loss but but i want to take a step back that one decision is not why the blue jays lost the series they scored one run in two games kevin yeah. gosman their ace was not sharp the twins went out and beat them so so i don't want to make it seem like this decision is why the twins won. No, the twins went out. They played better. They pitched better. They hit better. They did everything better. They deserve yeah. to win this series. But I do think from the Blue Jays' perspective, another early postseason exit, a lot of their guys just did not did not perform. And we've seen that happen. This was a year where you looked at these guys on paper and, and you kept waiting for them to just click and go off. And, and they never really did. And it played out in the postseason here too. And now the twins are moving on. Jeff, the, the one series that I do think we need to dive in a little bit further is the D-backs Brewers series. And I talked about the Brewers and how their lack of an offense was going to prevent them from, from really being a true World Series contender. But I thought they would win this series, especially if you're at home. The D-backs throwing Brandon Fott in game one, not having either Zach Gallen or Merrill Kelly available. And not only that, I mean, the D-backs were down early. And I think this, to me, was was really one of my biggest takeaways in terms of individual series and what individual teams were doing. I mean, the D-backs were down 3 nothing on the road with Corbin Burns on the mound for the Brewers, and they came back. That's not easy. And Cattell Marte and Corbin Carroll, two immensely talented players, stepped up and and came up big for them. And then they continued to pile on Christian Walker off of Devin Williams. I mean, Devin Williams has been locked down all year. Walker came up and, and delivered the big double to seal that game. And then game two, again, you're on the road. And, and stealing game one really was huge because then you can go out and throw Zach Gallon on the mound and you feel really, really, really good about your chances there. Um, but again, the Brewers went up early, scored two runs at the bottom of the first off your ace. And the D-backs, again, they came back in the late innings. I thought just the resilience and the fortitude the D-backs showed really, really jumped out to me to be trailing early on the road both games and to come back and win both of them. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't catch as much of that series as it was. Uh, we have a Blue Jays uh, fan in this house. So I had to watch the entire <laughs> Blue Jays games. And then often was switching over to, to the Phillies games. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that when you look at this Diamondbacks team, um, you know, just in terms of the offense, uh, Corbin Carroll is just such a spark plug. Um, they're getting huge performances from Kettle Marte this year and others. Uh, it's a very good young team. Um it feels like a team that's maybe a year away from really making some noise in the playoffs. Uh, but I think in the end, they were certainly the better team. It's just, you know, when we look forward to the next series, I'm a little worried about how that pitching staff sets up. You only got two and a third out of Brandon Fat. Um, you know, you're going to need a lot more out of, out of Gallon, et cetera. So um, they have Merrill Kelly, I think, going in game one. So I don't know. I mean, it was it was an impressive showing uh, from the sense of, like you said, coming back uh, against some notable pitchers and coming up at some big moments. But I think we knew that this was a talented team, team that could hit. It's just a matter of, um, you know, how does everything shake out in, the, in a series against the Dodgers that they have coming up, which adds a formidable opponent, of course. Yeah, and we're going to have a preview of that. Just as we wrap up the wildcard series, Phillies-Marlins, you talked about it. The Phillies at home, I mean, they have the best 
home record in the postseason of any team in baseball since Citizens Bank Park opened. They went out and outscored the Marlins 11 to 2 and again beat two pretty good pitchers. Like Jesus Lazardo and Braxton Garrett are good pitchers who had really good years, and the Phillies went out and won this series very, very, very straightforward and easily. I, I think, you know, one of the things we talk about with teams, when you look on paper at the talent, you can assess it one way, and you certainly look at the Phillies and say, yes, yeah, this is a really, really talented team. Again, deep lineup, one to nine, good pitching staff, and they were in the World Series last year. But it's the edge they play with on top of it, and that's what really jumps out. You know, you compare the edge they play with for pretty much all 162 compared to some other teams who are, you can say might be similarly talented on paper, but underachieve or underperform. Again, that edge makes a difference. And, and a lot of people who come from quantitative backgrounds don't like hearing this, but it's the truth. Like playing hard makes a difference. And the Phillies game in and game out, you know, you're going to get their best. And, and that's a not inconsiderable advantage. And I think, Seeing that again during the Marlins series, and again, we saw it all year. It's not like it was a huge surprise or out of character or anything, but just kind of reinforced. This is a team that's going to be a force to be reckoned with. If they go out, they're going to be a tough out, no matter who they play, because they're deep, they're talented, and they play their tails off, and they're well-managed. I mean, they check every box, and you know, we saw the Phillies have that Cinderella run to the World Series last year, but he if you looked at it from the time Rob Thompson took over, they were on par with a lot of the best teams in baseball. Again, yes, they're a wild card team, and yes, the Braves ran away with the division. And we'll talk about that series next. But I got to tell you, just the, the, watching the Phillies play is is really enjoyable because they're deep, they're talented, and and you know you're getting your best from them one through nine every single day. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, Jeff, I think that wraps up our wild card series review. Uh, we're going to take a look at the division series. Really, really fun matchups coming up. Uh, we're going to do that right here after this quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce. We just reviewed all four wildcard series, and now we're going to look ahead to the division series. We're going to go series by series, break it all down, make our picks, and uh, tell you what we are looking forward to most. Jeff, from the outside, most of the attention is being paid to the Phillies Braves series, which, again, completely understandable. You have the best team in baseball this year going up against the defending National League champion. They were postseason opponents last year. They're in division opponents. They're star power plenty. The series that I personally am actually most interested in is the Rangers and Orioles. And a big reason why is what I've talked about. You have two deep, dynamic, exceptional offenses. And you have the energy of the Orioles and what Camden Yards is going to be like. You have a Rangers team that we saw that racers. They came out ticked off from the way that the season finished, and they went out and took a hammer to the Rays. I think this is going to be a really, really, really thrilling series. When you look at the Rangers and Orioles, what are some of the keys you're going to be looking for? Yeah, I think um, when you break this series down in you know each sort of uh, facet of the game, uh, they can kind of offset each other a little bit. Um, you know, I probably would give the Rangers a, a little bit of an edge in terms of the offense. Uh, they're a better home run, better power team than the Orioles are. The Orioles score runs and manufacture runs in a lot of different uh, ways. I think that people get caught up on maybe some of the star power and the home run hitters at the top of the lineup. Um, but they're one of the best base running teams in the game. I think that their base running could be, you know, a potential advantage for them. Um then you sort of dig in in terms of these teams defensively. Um, the Rangers are arguably one of the best, if not the best, defensive team in baseball. Sort of uh, one through you know one through eight, or you want to say. Um, the Orioles certainly aren't any slouch either. Uh, but then it sort of gets into another conversation in terms of the managers, and I think that there are very contrasting styles in terms of these two managers. Um, you know, Bochi obviously has a, a Hall of Fame track record. The guy who came out of retirement to manage this team. Um, a little bit more standard, a little bit more calm hands uh, in terms of his lineups. You see a pretty similar lineups against righties and lefties. Uh, he's willing to maybe give a guy like Robbie Grossman at bats against right-handers, despite being a uh, below average hitter against righties because of the quality of bats, defense, et cetera. Um, where if you look at, you know, Hyde, Brandon Hyde with the Orioles, less managerial experience. You know, this is his first real run in the playoffs. Um he's a guy that's going to play the matchups a lot more. If you look at what their lineups typically are like, it's going to depend on what the, the playoff roster, final playoff roster looks like. I have not seen it. I don't know if they've released it yet or not. Um, but they'll play the matchups in terms of righties and lefties. They'll move guys around in terms of where they are in the order. Um, the good thing for them is they're not – I mean, they are going to see a couple of lefties. They're going to probably see Haney. Um, you know, so – and, and of course, Montgomery will probably pitch game two, I would imagine, um, in terms of, you know, he'll be on normal rest. 
had a great performance in game one. So, you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing where there, there might be some mixing and matching in terms of these lineups. I'll be interested to see how Hyde rolls out of his lineups against some of the left-handers. Uh, when it comes down to the bullpens, I think even without Bautista, there is a clear advantage here um, for the Orioles. Um, they still have a guy at the back end of their bullpen that's very good. And they've had a few other guys uh, throughout this season that have really performed out of that pen. Um, they got some firepower. They got guys that are ground ballers. They can give you a variety of different looks. Uh, they really know how to mix and match. I think that's going to be a big advantage for the Orioles in the series. But I think when you kind of weigh up all these checks and, and, and minuses that we've uh, pluses and minuses that we've gone through on each side. It's a pretty even series. This could go either way, really. Um, and I think it, it comes down to how you think the pitching staffs will perform and how really how the offenses will, will perform there. Yeah. I think the matchup for me that I'm going to be most curious to watch is the Orioles starting pitchers versus this Rangers lineup. As you talked about this Rangers lineup, it was the highest scoring lineup in the American league this year. This, this is, I mean, one of the best lineups in baseball by any measure. And, you know, the Orioles have some really young starters who will be pitching the postseason for the first time. And I actually wrote about this in our five storylines for the postseason that I wrote before the wildcard series opened. The Orioles don't have a single starting pitcher who has ever started a playoff game. Kyle Gibson has appeared in playoff games, but he's only come on in relief. So, you know, this is going to be the first time for all these guys on a big stage. And I'm going to be really curious to see just how they handle it. Um, Kyle Bradish is going to start game one. He had the lowest ERA of any pitcher in the American League in the second half. He's been great, and he's given you no reason to think he isn't up to the challenge. But the postseason is different. I, I remember talking to uh, a current scout who's a longtime pitcher, and, and we were just talking about his career, and he's like, you know, the postseason, that's the highlight of my career, pitching the postseason. That's what you live for. That's what you go for. And it's just different, the energy, the vibes, everything. And Sometimes it, it takes a little bit to settle those down a little bit and, and, and really just focus on executing and pitching and not getting overexcited. Some guys can do it. We, we've seen plenty of young starters do it. Josh Beckett, John Lackey are two great examples. I'm just really going to be curious to see how Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez handle it. As we talked about, Bradish had the lowest ERA in the American League in the second half. Grayson Rodriguez had the third lowest ERA in the American League in the second half. By the way, Dean Kramer had the seventh lowest ERA in the American League in the second half. All these guys have been pitching really, really, really well recently. But again, it's their first time in a postseason. And it's just different. And this is a really, really, really deep, dangerous Rangers lineup. That, to me, is the matchup I'm going to be watching the most. And then on top of that, you know, you mentioned this Orioles bullpen. Yeah, Nier Cano definitely struggled a little bit there at the end of the year. The fatigue and the workload really caught up with him. You know, this Orioles bullpen got ridden very, very, very hard early on. And Felix Bautista is out, obviously, after having Tommy John surgery. You know, Cano has not been as sharp. I am going to be curious to see if this buy, these couple days off, have given all those relievers enough time and they come out looking fresh again, or if the wear and tear of the season carries on into the postseason. Because, I mean, that's going to be a really, really, really big thing for the Orioles. They've relied on this bullpen a lot throughout the year, and it's come up big for them more often than not. But they've been ridden pretty hard. And, and again, with how dangerous this offense is, if you give them the slightest opening, if, if your guys are tired and they walk a leadoff batter or two, any lead you have can evaporate very, very quickly. So 
on the holds, it's going to be the Orioles pitching staff versus the Rangers offense, but specifically the composure of the Orioles starters and the fatigue level of the Orioles relievers are our two keys I'm going to be looking for. Be interesting to see how all that plays out. So with that, Jeff, make your pick. Who you got? I'm going to go with the Rangers uh, in four games in this series. Uh, I just think that the way the pitching staff still sets up uh, with the sweep, the fact that Montgomery could, you know, potentially goes game two. Um, look at Eovaldi in this series, and there's not a huge advantage in terms of the Orioles pitching staff. So um, while I do think they have a good bullpen, and you know, obviously you, you brought up some of the concerns there, I do think overall the Rangers offense is going to be too much to take. And I just think uh, they have five guys in this lineup that can change the game with a swing of a bat. And we've seen how home runs do impact games over and over again in the playoffs. I picked the Rangers to be my American League representative in the World Series at the start of this, and certainly not going to jump off that now. So it's going to be a fun series, though. I, I'm really looking forward to watching this one. Jeff, moving over into the other American League Division Series, you have the Twins and the defending World Series champion Astros, who, again, every year, I, I feel like this happens. This has got to be like the quietest, like dominant era team I can think of. This is an Astros team that's been to four of the last six World Series won two of them, and yes, one of which is tainted by their sign-stealing scandal. They've been to six straight ALCSs. Like, this has been a historically dominant team that, for whatever reason, well, I think part of the reason is they're in Houston and not New York, Boston, Chicago, or LA. They, they don't kind of get the attention they deserve for being that. When you look at this series, what are some of the key things you're looking for, and, and can the Twins be a team that knocks off the defending champion? Yeah, I think it, I think it's possible. Uh, and the reason I'll say that is this is a team that can match up uh, with this Astros team in terms of the rotation. Uh, the Twins had one of the best, uh, you know, starting pitching staffs and rotations in all of the American League throughout the season. As I talked about at the beginning of this show, um, the offense in the second half of the season has really performed uh, incredibly well. And I think you look at, at some of the guys that have taken big steps forward uh, it's been some of the younger guys on this team, a guy like Matt Walner, who I don't think either of us would have bet on this guy putting on together the performance that he did in the second half, but he really did. Uh, I think he had a 144 WRC plus in the second half of the season. Um, Fairness, really I well. will say I've, I've been a Matt Walner fan since sure. the, uh, the Futures game last year. But yes, I think anytime you look at a guy and think he'll post an 877 OPS in his first 75 some odd games in the majors. Yeah, that that's obviously a, a really exceptional performance beyond what I think most people would have predicted. Yeah, and there's some defensive value there too. He's got a big arm out there. But I think the big thing for me is the the way the two pitching staffs set up and the twins have enough depth within this pitching staff to roll a good starter in all five games on regular rest. It, it could be really interesting to see how all of that shakes out. Um, I do still want to give, you know, the Astros sort of the, the credit in terms of the offense. It's still a very good rotation. I still think this is a team that could make the world series again. I think they're still in line with all that. Um, they're maybe not, they're not the team of last season though. And I do think that this twins team um, with the way this offense has started to gel uh, with some of these younger guys in the lineup, their, their ability to get on base, work deep into counts. Um, and the other thing is the Astros really can't take advantage of one of the biggest weaknesses of this team. And that is they really don't hit left-handed pitch. Left and there's really only one lefty they're rolling, which is Valdez. And 
regardless of whether he's a righty or a lefty, Valdez is probably going to be give you a great performance. It's a great starting pitching staff. I wonder if the Twins can get to some of these righties that they have. Yeah, no, I agree. I think one of the the keys I'm be watching for is which version of Christian Javier shows up. If you're the Astros, you feel pretty good about Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez um, going out and starting games one and two for you. Which version of Christian Javier shows up? Obviously, last year he started a combined no-hitter in the World Series, and his magic fastball made him one of the, the better pitchers, especially down the stretch in the American League. I mean, he also started a combined no-hitter during the regular season that year. This year, he was not great. His ERA was mid-fours and was really inconsistent. He, he did finish the year with a good start, but I think that's going to be key because you know you're going to get good starts from Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez, more likely than not. These are two of the better pitchers in the American League, but you need that third guy. And I think seeing what Christian Javier is able to give the Astros or even if they decide to go in another direction and maybe they give J.P. France a start. I mean, we need to see what they do, but I think if Javier is his best self, that really, really enhances the Astros' chances. I do think ultimately I'm going to pick the Astros here. Again, I can't pick against them until someone knocks them off, especially this early in the playoffs. But I certainly agree. The Twins are a really, really good team. This this rotation, the Twins rotation, had the lowest ERA in the American League. And again, we just saw them hold the Blue Jays to one run over two games. So look, this Astros offense, it's deep, it's dynamic, it's dangerous, it's it's whole again. Again, various points this season, they were missing Jose Altuve, they were missing Erdogan Alvarez. Uh, Alex Bregman was not himself early, he finished the year much better. So look, this, this Astros offense is firing on all cylinders and we know what it's capable of, but this Twins pitching staff can hold down anyone. So I think in a lot of ways, that's going to be a great matchup. But But again, if if Christian Javier can give the Astros a good third starter, that that to me is going to be one of the potential key turning points of the series. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with the Astros in five here. I do think this will be a hard fought series. I think there will be some performances, some momentum swings back and forth. But I think the experience ultimately and just the quality of that lineup from one to nine, um, and just guys that have been there before and make a lot of smart plays throughout the game that I, I just trust that veteran experience. And uh, I value that a little bit, especially in this divisional round. It's not to say that I don't think the Astros can't be knocked off. I think the uh, twins will give a valiant effort, but in the end, I just don't think it's going to be enough. So Jeff, moving over into the national league division series. Now the marquee series, the headliner Phillies Braves, best team in baseball versus the defending national league champions. Uh, I mean, star power, plenty go down the lineups for both these teams it's it's a lot of marquee superstars and interdivision rivals i mean you have just so 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 many layers here and oh by the way we're in the postseason last year facing each other and the phillies upset the braves and that in a lot of ways it wasn't their their first round they went through the wild card round and, and knocked off uh, the cardinals but that series against the braves you know really is what kind of set them on that trajectory to the world series what are you looking for in this series? I, I'm certainly excited to watch this one. What are you looking for? What are the keys and ultimately who you got? Yeah, I think it's a matter of um, how these pitching staffs match up. Uh, there's certainly a little bit more of uh, a degree of difficulty at play here uh, with what the Phillies have to do versus the Braves. But I think when we break down those matchups a little bit, um, there's some there's some pros and cons on each side. 
you know, I, I, I certainly think that we can look at the Braves pitching staff and we can look at some of the injuries that they've dealt with throughout the season. And I think they're without Charlie Morton, you know, et cetera. Um, Kyle Wright's still coming back. There's some, some things at play there, but at the same time, um, they've performed really well uh, throughout the season against good teams and they don't have to face the Braves offense, which I think is a, uh, a pretty dramatic uh, <laughs> swing of, you know, one way or the other in terms of check boxes and their performances and et cetera. That being said, um, this was interesting. I saw this in fan graphs, I think yesterday or today uh, they had broken down um, all of the pitching staffs in baseball against the top six offenses. Of course, like I said, the Braves can't face their own offense. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the Braves had the best performing because uh, once again, they don't have to face their own offense uh, <laughs> of all the teams against top six offenses, which I found interesting. Obviously, it's not the same. And the Phillies were more in the middle of the pack. It's interesting because the overall numbers really favored the Phillies. The Phillies had one of the best rotations in baseball this year. I think they had, I think this is also in that Fangraphs article, like they had more pitcher war than any other rotation this year. Um, they obviously have some horses there. It's a good bullpen. I think even in comparison to last year and the bullpen that they went to the World Series with, this is a bullpen that has some firepower and they have guys that have really come into their own. They've added a guy like, you know, Orion Kirkering, I think gives them another dimension of a guy that they can use situationally in you know, the sixth or seventh inning, or if a starter gets run early guy that they can throw multiple innings, potentially they really give them some fire firepower. That's an interesting one. But the biggest thing in this, in this entire equation is this is a historic Braves offense. This is one of the best offenses of all time. It's a top 10 offense pretty much in every metric and measure. It's one of the best offenses we've seen in a generation. Um, they just have the ability to score runs and score runs in a variety of ways. A point you made at the top of the show was you need to have a lineup that scores from one through nine. This is a lineup that can score from one through nine. And, you know, I think there's some, there's certain some holes. You can poke some holes maybe with, with some of them defensively with the pitching staff, with the bullpen, whatever. If we get into shootouts, there's no one that's going to beat this team, even the Dodgers. I think this is a team that just in terms of scoring runs, they have the potential to put up 10 every night. Yeah, I mean, this is an insane offense. I mean, you just look at the breakdown individually of all these players and what they've done over the course of the season. But but I think just to put it in perspective, I mean, think about the Phillies offense. Like, this is a really, really good Phillies offense. Trey Turner, and Bryce Harper, and Kyle Schwarber, and Nick Castellanos, and, and so many guys who can hurt you. Alec Bohm had a good year. Bryson Stock can do some damage. Like, this is a really good offense. The Braves scored almost 150 more runs than the Phillies did this year. They hit more than 80 more home runs. Like their batting average was 20 points higher. Their slugging percentage was uh, almost 70 points higher. I mean, the Phillies are a good offense. They're six offense in baseball by most measures. And the Braves were just like obliterate them in almost every category. And, and that just speaks to how insane this offense is. I, I think a lot is going to hinge on Max Fried and his blisters because yeah. if Max Fried is not able to give the Braves a normal solid start again i'm not talking about ace level max freed of eight innings one run allowed but if he only goes two innings and the blister is really really affecting him that puts the braves in a hole because then they become a team with one starting pitcher spencer strider you know bryce elder really really struggled after the all-star break kyle wright has not been very good since coming back off the il charlie morton is out for this division series 
you can't really win a five game series with one legit starting pitcher. I mean, you need a lot of breaks to go your way and the bullpen to be historically amazing. So I, I will say that, look, again, I picked the Braves to win the world series before the season. I certainly not jumping off that. I, I am going to pick them to win the series, but a lot is going to hinge on Max Fried and what he can give them. Cause if he goes out and gives them five solid innings, then they can throw Strider game two, whatever they need to do for game three and potentially come back four and five and go Strider and Fried again. You like their odds. They'll be fine. But if Fried can't really go or the blisters keep popping up and he can't pitch to the level that he's accustomed to, that's going to create a problem. So I think for me, in a lot of ways, I expect the series to hinge on that. Again, not entirely, but I think it's going to be a huge, huge, huge factor in how this plays out. Yeah, for sure. But uh, when it comes to the picks, I'm still going Braves. I, I'm going Braves in three on this one. I know that I'm going against what I said on the Phillies earlier. I just think I think this is the World Series favorite, um, regardless of even some of the questions with the starting pitching. They're going to score a ton of runs and uh, could be a really interesting team. I, I, you know, this this Braves team. Maybe I'm maybe I'm falling too much into the regular season narrative of this offense, but uh, the Phillies didn't fare all that well against the Braves throughout the season, and I just I anticipate that's going to carry through. There'll be some moments. There'll maybe be some close games, but I do think that uh, I think the Braves sweep. Yeah, I'm definitely picking the Braves. I I would give the Phillies one game. But yeah, I do, again, like I said, the Braves are my World Series pick before the season. They're my World Series pick at the start of the postseason and certainly not jumping off of that in any way, shape, or form. All right, Jeff, the final series that is going to be just kind of really, really interesting to watch in a lot of ways is the Dodgers and D-backs. And the reason I say that is because I actually had a conversation with a Dodgers official a couple days ago talking about a number of things and the D-backs uh, hadn't yet beat the Brewers. They won game one, game two hadn't started yet. And we were just talking and and he said unprompted that he would rather face the Brewers. And I asked why. And one of the things he said was they saw last year with the Padres, you know, the D-backs are going to come with that, that extra hunger of, you know, wanting to knock off the big dog, the bully in the division. And this is that type of young, electric high energy team that can put a scare into you a little bit. If they you know the Dodgers came out flat last year against the Padres, Dave Roberts talked about that openly during the winter meeting. And I think because that they'll be on guard against it this year, but I did think it was interesting. You know, he talked about for all the strength of the Brewers pitching staff and, and all the things they could do. He actually was hoping the Brewers would win that series because the, the Dodgers Again, they, they know what the D-backs are capable of and the extra edge they're going to come with wanting to take down the big dog in the, in the division. Yeah, um, I think that's a good point, especially when you look at last season. But it also might be the kind of thing where they've thought about it so much that they're prepared, they're ready to not, you know, show up flat. And, and I do think that regardless of some of the struggles the Dodgers have had, with injuries and finding the right rotation. I think they have some guys in place still that they can go into this series. It's a great offense. They're going to score a lot of runs. And I, I, I just think that the Diamondbacks are another pitcher, probably another starter away that can pitch in a playoff series. It seems like that's a major question mark here. Um, you know, and then we don't know. They're only probably going to be able to throw Zach down once. Um, so that becomes kind of a question mark too. 
Well, that's actually one of the interesting things. So with the off day built in between games one and two in the division series, it actually lines up favorably in the sense that the D-backs can throw Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly twice each. So that that is something that actually does play in their favor a little bit. Um, Yeah, I I think the other thing, too, that that I'm going to just be really, really – curious to see is, is how the Dodgers handle the D-backs run game. We've talked about this is a Diamondbacks team that likes to put pressure on you. First to thirds in terms of stolen bases, they were one of the most prolific teams in baseball this year. Uh, they finished second in the majors with the most stolen bases behind only the Reds. And whenever you're an underdog a little bit, that's a way you can just generate a little extra something. And the Dodgers at times have had pitchers who are not great at controlling the run game. Will Smith's caught stealing percentage was only 21%. The league average was 19%. So it's low all around, but it's not like this is a team that you still off the pitcher and, and the catcher certainly plays a role in it too. But, you know, th- this is not a team that's by any means fantastic at holding runners. And I, I do think that the way the D-backs kind of match up there, it gives them a little bit of a different dynamic. I, I think ultimately what's going to be most interesting for me is how the Dodgers line up their pitching. Almost their entire opening day rotation is, is no longer around. Tony Gonsolin hurt, Dustin May hurt, Noah Syndergaard ineffective and traded away. Julio Urias suspended. Clayton Kershaw, since he came back off the IL, you know, has only pitched into the sixth inning once, and he's been on, he even joked about it, a, a college pitching schedule. He's pitching once a week. He's not able to go really on five days rest. His shoulder's been not allowing him to and, and give him credit with those limitations. He's still been great. I mean, this is a master of his craft. who's still been incredibly effective. I want to see how they do this because I think we have seen at times, I don't think we have seen at times, the Dodgers really overthink their pitching and use openers when they don't need to and use starters in relief when they don't need to and just do some really, really foolish, unnecessary things that have just shot themselves in the foot. And I think the way things have lined up this year I'm a little concerned their worst instincts will get the better of them. I think what they need to do is go Kershaw game one, Bobby Miller game two, Lance Lynn game three. Um, Lance Lynn's been pitching better recently. If you look at what he's done with the Dodgers, he's really only had two bad starts. The rest he's ranged from, okay, solid to, yeah, he's been really good. You know, try and get five innings from all three of those guys, and then you can use your combination of Pepio, Yarbrough, Sheehan, any guy you need to take down bulk innings if one of them gets in trouble. And you do have a bullpen that was shaky early, but has been better recently. The Ryan Brazier pickup's been fantastic. Evan Phillips remains really, really good. He's taken over the closer role. And by the way, Brewster Gratterall's been the best he's ever been this year. I think if the Dodgers play it straight and just say, hey, here's our three starters. We're going to roll them out. If we need to take down some bulk innings, we have a lot of options, lefties and righties with Sheehan, Pepio, Yarborough. And then we leave Brazier, Gratterall, and Phillips to take down seven, eight, nine. They'll be fine. If they start using Brewster Gratterall as an opener and then just and start trying to mix and match guys in situations they're not used to pitching, that's going to be the red flag where they're going to start shooting themselves in the foot. And we've seen them do it, and I'm really hoping they don't do it. I'm picking the Dodgers. I think they're the better team. For all their issues, they still won 100 games this year. Uh, this was the second-best offense in baseball behind only the Braves, and I talked about the gap between the Braves and the Phillies. The Dodgers also scored 900 runs this year. The Dodgers actually, I mean, again, they weren't to the Braves level. No one was, but this was a pretty good offense that they're second to only the Braves in pretty much everything. So they have 
the offense to win any game. I just want to see them play it straight with their pitching and and not get overly fancy. And given their track record, I'm I'm a little skeptical that they can do that, but I'm still going to go Dodgers in four. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you here. Uh, I'm actually going Dodgers in four as well. I think the Diamondbacks maybe do steal a game in this series. Um, but ultimately, it's just I think if they get into track meets and these are high-scoring games, if that happens, the Dodgers are just so much better prepared you know, um, to deal with that or even come back if, if the Diamondbacks have another offensive explosion like they had in milwaukee but i think the quality of these two offenses is pretty stark and like i've said a few times in this show i really think you know kudos to the diamondbacks in terms of what they built and what they have going forward i just think this is sort of like that 2015 cubs team where like they're getting into it they're they're getting their footing they're getting some playoff experience and really next year if they add to this this team that's the team that could potentially make a run could be wrong, but I'm going with Dodgers in four just simply because I think it's too much to overcome in this offense. The other thing is, as you mentioned, the depth of starting pitching. They have so many guys that in these close playoff games, if it's a close game, that can go multiple innings, stretch it out, and really the rest of the bullpen, um, which is an advantage for, you know, the Diamondbacks have a good bullpen. Uh, they have a strong bullpen. They've had good performances down the stretch. They made some trades to secure guys in particular roles. Uh, so in close games, they certainly do have a shot. I just think the Dodgers, there's just too much stuff here uh, to overcome. And I think ultimately I'm going to go with the Dodgers as well. Did we pick all the series the same? We did. So we lack variety, but that means we're going to be successful. Live and die together. together. Or we're going down together. So uh, this is going to be a fun series. I will be out at Dodger Stadium covering Dodger Diamondbacks series on the ground. Uh, Savannah McCann will be in Baltimore covering the Orioles Rangers series for us here at Baseball America. So we're going to have live coverage on the ground. We're going to have more podcasts. We're going to have Lots and lots and lots of postseason content coming your way. Um, again, I keep saying it every podcast because it's true. It's the best time of the year, and we still have a lot more fun stuff to come. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Good talking baseball with you as always. Same here, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Enjoy playoff baseball, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.